listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor David Sinclair. We are in the middle of a series uh, called When Life Stinks. And uh, I have to admit that I, I thought that life uh, stinks really bad this morning when I found out that Lee was found dead in his apartment. Um, there's always that element of, of uh, death, kind of the enemy's final victory. Uh, but Jesus has overcome death and the grave, and so we still have reason to rejoice. Um, this series has been very interesting, and I want to thank all of you who have come and talked to me, um, who have wrote me emails, uh, who have rebuked me. No, nobody's rebuked me. Uh, but who have disagreed with me on things. I, just, I really appreciate it. This has been a very difficult series, and I understand that uh, we've addressed some very, very difficult issues. I said to Pastor Bill, you know, the hardest part about getting up here and preaching on God in the midst of suffering is that I know I'll be wrong from the start. I know there's some things that I'll be wrong about because obviously I can't understand perfectly with my puny little human brain how God is involved in all these terrible things that happen. I can't give you a pat answer about God and his involvement in Lee Bratcher's death yesterday. I can't. He's 23 years old. I don't know where he was at with Christ. I knew at one point, but I don't know now. Um, And to kind of gloss things over with an easy answer... Um, is not what we're here to do, but to search for God in the midst of it and to search for hope and for purpose in the suffering of believers. And so that's what we've been talking about. In the first week, we started with God's sovereignty. The idea that our great, big, massive, huge, unbelievable, unfathomable God is indeed in control of all things. He has the sovereign power over all his created things. And so we know that he is at least in our suffering. He sees it. He's present. He's there. But then we came around the idea that even though he's also there, that he is there, he is also infinitely good. And um, I want to make mention of a ministry that we have here at Life Church, and it's called the Sozo Ministry. And that seeks to explore how, just how infinitely good our Heavenly Father is. And that in the midst of suffering and, um, and difficulties that we encounter in life, God's desire is for the wounds and the lies that the enemy has tried to bring into our lives to be healed so we can be whole, healed, and delivered. And if you would like to talk to somebody, talk to Pastor Daniel about the Sozo ministry. It's an incredible and valuable resource. Um, I've been through it. Pastor Bill's been through it. And really, it's just trying to get you connected up with God um, so that you can hear the Father speak over you about those situations in your life, about the very difficult, painful situations. Um, that you've been through and bring healing into those situations. So I recommend that to uh, all of you, everyone. Uh, we recommend that all of our people go through the Sozo program. And then next, the, the next week we came back and we started this mini-series on suffering's purpose, this mini-series inside this series. And we talked about, number one, the purpose uh, for suffering in the lives of believers is that God would use suffering to make us and conform us and change us to be more like Jesus Christ to be more like his son. And uh, in doing that, that we are actually glorified. Uh, We start being glorified on this earth. And and we look forward to the hope when one day Jesus will return, we'll be caught up with him, and we'll we'll share in his glory. And we do long for that day, Um, especially more and more as we uh, go through the suffering things of life. And then last week, we came back and we talked about suffering's purpose number two, and that would be the, the intimacy purpose. And Cindy Vanderpoel shared a, a powerful testimony of her sufferings and, and how turning to God in the midst of her sufferings, he's actually allowed those sufferings to draw her closer to the Savior. Uh, but we also talked about 
Uh, this past week, I talked with some of you that that does not mean that we stop praying for Cindy or that we stop praying for healing because the Bible commands us to pray for healing. So just because God can bring something out of the suffering doesn't mean that we stop praying for what we want and what he tells us to pray for because that is his ultimate goal. His ultimate goal is that we would be healed. And we see that by his end plan, which Pastor Bill is going to talk about uh, the next couple of weeks. And so we're on suffering's purpose, part three, today. And as we've gone through this series, I haven't distinguished a lot between the types of suffering. And I think the, the Apostle Paul kind of lumps them together in one, his physical sufferings being shipwrecked and snake bitten and all kinds of things like that. And then his missional sufferings or sufferings for the gospel. And I recognize there's a lot of suffering that we're not talking about here. We haven't addressed suffering because you make stupid choices. I mean, I've suffered a lot because I've made dumb choices. How many of you have suffered because you made stupid choices? Right? I mean, we, we're, not, we're not even touching on that in this series. There's so much that we need to talk about that, that we could talk about that we aren't. You know, there's, um, there's suffering from just living in a sinful, fallen world, right? We're kind of in between God creating the world perfect and good without any sin or without any suffering and Him coming back and making things new. And in that between time, there's all this suffering and pain. But we know the beginning and we know the end is void of suffering for believers. And so in this middle period, we experience suffering and death and pain and agony and trials and tribulations. And the Bible has some very clear instructions how we're to handle those, how, how we are to handle those things as believers. And so today we're talking about the most talked about form of suffering in the scriptures, especially by Jesus, and that is missional suffering. Suffering for the gospel and for the name of Christ, um, which I think is, is more often than not what he's talking about. Now, there's a, a kind of a general, first of all, overall form of suffering, uh, missional suffering that includes all of us. And that is simply that we are still on planet Earth, that Jesus has not returned. And so we have to deal with the death of our friends. We have to deal with the loss of loved ones. We have to deal with pain and sickness because Jesus hasn't returned. And there's a very specific reason why Jesus hasn't returned. Can we bring up 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9? It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. Now that gives us a great window into the heart of our, our Father. That balances out this idea of his sovereignty, lest you start to think that he's somehow evil. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but he wants everyone to come to repentance. That, in, in general, is kind of an overall form of suffering, that our longing as believers is for our Savior, Jesus Christ, to return so that we can be caught up with him into a most unimaginable place that ends of all suffering, a place that is more infinitely beautiful and wonderful than any of us can imagine. It's incredible. And we long for that place, but because God is being patient, and he's being patient because he, he does not wish that any would perish. Because God is being patient, we stay here and we suffer. We deal with loss and pain and difficulty. We stay in this fallen, sinful place. So that's kind of the overall experience of suffering that we all experience together as believers. We're longing for the Savior's return, but God is being patient because he wants other people to come to know him. So even in the midst of all your difficulties, you can right away say, the only reason why I'm still here going through this is because God's being patient. And so right, right off the bat, all of your suffering has some purpose. Any suffering that you experience in life has some purpose because the reason why we're still here that Jesus has not returned is because God is being patient. And you can take heart that other people are coming to know him. 
other people will experience salvation because we are stuck here on this earth still. And I'm glad that God is being patient. I'm glad that he waited for me to come to him. Now, there's also a specific, very specific missional suffering that the Bible talks about at length and that Jesus mentions. And this is not going to be fun, people, but I'm going to tell you the truth. How many of you like to hear the truth whether it hurts or not? All right? This does not keep people in church ordinarily. All right? But this is a talk that if I'm going to be a, a true pastor, I think this has to happen. I want to prepare you for this missional suffering. We're talking about reaching into our neighborhood. We're talking about bringing the gospel all around us, the good news of Jesus, because they need to hear it. Because it's the most loving thing a person can possibly do. And that in doing that, Jesus promises us suffering. Let's look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 9. It says some very comforting words. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. Interesting, a promise from Jesus before he left earth. John chapter 15, verse 20. It says, remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they persecuted me. Remember, we are following the guy they crucified. Sometimes I think people think they're signing up to follow the guy that carried the sheep around all the time. But that is not Jesus. You know, the guy that kind of looks like Miss America with that weird thing on him. And that, and that is not Jesus. This was the man that they brutally murdered 2,000 years ago. And now we are following him. It, in, it promises danger. It promises that there could be perils awaiting you. And I would be not doing my job as your pastor to not warn you of this. But knowing that your suffering has great purpose gives us heart in this. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. It says, in fact, any, everyone, everybody say that with me, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In some form or another, whether that's just getting made fun of at the office for your beliefs, whether that's getting rejected as you try to talk to somebody about Jesus and they mock you, or whether that's actually experiencing some torment and torture in another country, or the ultimate price being put to death. Everyone will be persecuted that desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. History would tell us that all the disciples were martyred for their faith, including John the Baptist. Stephen being the first one of those martyrs. All of them paid the ultimate price for their faith. All the guys that followed Jesus most closely died for the faith. Since then, uh, David Barrett estimates that there have been 70 million Christian martyrs. 70 million people that have said, I will pay the ultimate price for my faith. My faith is that important to me. There is nothing else more important to me in this life. I'll give up everything for Jesus, including my own life and breath. David Barrett estimates that at the beginning of the 20th century, 34,400 people were martyred. Christians were martyred for their faith. 2008 and 2009, that number was up to 176,000 in one year. Christians martyred for their faith. The estimate is that by 2025, there will be over 210 Christian martyrs every year. 210,000 Christian martyrs every year. Suffering, persecution... And death, for Christ's sake and for the gospel, have always been a part of the Christian faith. John Piper said this. This has been rocking me this past week. So we talk so much about closed countries today that we've almost totally lost God's perspective on missions. As though he ever meant it to be easy and safe. 
There are no close countries to those who assume that persecution, imprisonment, and death are likely results of spreading the gospel. Now, I, I take that and I'm like, oh, ouch, because I don't want that. I, I want a good life with my family. I don't believe that we're supposed to invite martyrdom or that we're supposed to fall in love with the idea of martyrdom. Once again, we are not masochists here. We're not wishing that people would just come and shoot us. Um, but what we're saying is that the price of spreading the gospel it's very legitimate for God to ask us to give up our very lives to do that. That's a very legitimate call from the scriptures, that we would suffer, that we would be persecuted, and even put to death for our very faith. It's extremely legitimate from the New Testament. Jesus himself was put to death, and uh, so I don't know how we can assume any different. It's always, ever since the very beginning, cost believers their comfort and often their lives, and I want to prepare you. You know, sometimes I wonder... What would happen if, uh, you know, Jack and, and some of us were out praying and uh, walking through the neighborhood and just asking God to bless this neighborhood and asking him to uh, reveal himself to this neighborhood and asking him to pour out his love on this neighborhood? And, and what if somebody came by and shot us? Would that end life church? Would we all run in terror? You know, what if somebody came in here on a Sunday morning and started shooting? That happens, you know, today. It's happened several times in the past year. Would that create in us such a depth of fear that we say, no, I, I can't go that place anymore. I can't follow Jesus anymore. It's too risky. There's a very good chance that some of us will lose our lives for our faith. And I want you to be prepared so that you don't shy away. But not only that, I also want you to know that when that time comes, when you're mocked, maybe it won't be something serious like being tormented, but you, when you're mocked or ridiculed, um, when you suffer because of Christ's name, because of the gospel, I want you to know that that has incredible purpose. And so we're going to look at a couple of scripture passages. I'm going to tell a few stories and we're going to be done. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Very difficult passage. I don't pretend to be a, a scholar above any others, for sure. This passage has uh, baffled many. And so I read a lot of commentaries this week. And I think this passage has something beautiful to say about the missional purpose of our suffering. Um, now, the 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 verse leading up to this is interesting, and I think we have to look at the context that it comes in. The Apostle Paul is talking about the gospel, and in verse 23 he says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and which I, Paul, became a minister. So he's saying, hold fast to the gospel. Don't leave the gospel. Don't leave the message that Jesus paid the ultimate price for you. He says, I've become a herald or I've become a minister of that gospel. And then he says this in verse 24, which is very interesting. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Here we go, Paul rejoicing in our sufferings again. And it almost gets sickening how many times he talks about rejoicing in his sufferings. But he's got a very specific purpose hidden in here. And I want us to see this. He says, and in my flesh or in my body, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church. Very interesting idea. He says, in my flesh, in my body, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's sufferings or in Christ's afflictions. How could there ever be anything lacking in Christ's afflictions? We know the Bible says that his suffering, his, the, the price that he paid with his own death and with his own blood can cover the sins of the whole world. It was enough. There was nothing lacking about it in function. So what in the world could be lacking? I want to look at 
one other verse that I think gives us a hint uh, that Paul also said in a commentary on that um, that I think shows us the path to what he's talking about here, about filling up in his body, in his flesh, the sufferings of Christ, the afflictions of Christ. This is Philippians chapter 2, verse 30. And the Apostle Paul is, is telling the church at Philippi, he's saying, hey, I'm going to send my bro, Epaphroditus, back to you. And Epaphroditus, you should honor him. He says in verse uh, 29, he says, So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life, and we see it again, to complete what was lacking in your service to me. The, the, the wording there is almost the same as he uses in Colossians 1, to fill up what was lacking. And, and um, uh, the commentary that I read on it is by a guy that wrote this 100 years ago, Marvin Vincent, and I think he has a good bead on it. Uh, this is on Philippians 2.30. He says, The gift to Paul was a gift of the church as a body. So the church of Philippi said, Paul, we want to give you a gift to help your ministry. Sort of like Mary and Sullivan gives us gifts to help our ministry here at Life Church. And so they said, we want to give you a gift. It was a sacrificial offering of love. What was lacking and would have been grateful to Paul and to the church alike was the church's presentation of this offering in person. That was impossible. And Paul represents Epaphroditus as supplying this lack by his affectionate and zealous ministry. So what uh, Marvin Vincent is saying here is that in Philippians 2.30, um, he says that the Apostle Paul received a love gift from the church at Philippi. And the only thing lacking in that love gift was a personal representation, an encouragement in person that says, hey, Paul, we believe in you. We love you. I want to help you in your ministry. And Epaphroditus risked his life to get to Paul to give him that gift and to serve alongside him and encourage him in the ministry. And he says that's, the, that's very close to the same thing that the Apostle Paul is saying over here in Colossians 1, where he says, I fill up in my flesh the afflictions of Christ. So he's saying Christ gave a love gift to the world. The love gift that Christ gave to the world was his sufferings and his death in our place. He gave us a love gift, but the only thing that that love gift was, was lacking is a personal representation to the world of those sufferings a personal example so that they could see their infinite worth. And that's what we're called to do. John Piper said, the suffering love of Christ for sinners is seen in the suffering love of his people for sinners. So when you and I go out into the world and, and we're over in Africa and we're spreading the gospel and we're hot and we experience sickness and people look at us and all we can say is, do you know Jesus? I just want to tell you about this Jesus. In our suffering, we fill up in our body the lack of the afflictions of Christ. In other words, they get a personal representation. The only thing that they're lacking is a personal representation. We can never, ever add any to anything to the sufferings of Christ. They're complete. They're perfect. They pay for the sins of all the world. Anyone who would put their trust in him. But when we carry them to the people they were meant for, we fill up in our own body the afflictions. We, ex in a sense, extend them to the people Christ meant them for. He meant his sufferings to save all nations. He died so that all people could come to know him and experience salvation. And when we suffer in front of other people, when somebody is killed for the gospel or for the name of Christ, or they suffer or they're tortured, those people see the sufferings of Christ. They see a suffering love. They see the suffering love of the Savior on the cross when they see us suffering. 
They give a personal representation of them to the world. Joseph's son said it this way. I think this is beautiful. He said his cross, meaning Jesus' cross, was for propitiation, which means to take the place or take the wrath of God. So Christ's cross was to take the punishment, to pay the price that was meant for us, for you and I, the punishment for our sins. But our cross, the sufferings that we carry, is meant for propagation, to take that message to the rest of the world. So when we suffer in front of other people, they see the suffering love of the Savior. When we go to another country or when we go on to our own neighborhood and, somebody, and we should suffer for the gospel, be rejected for the gospel, in our suffering, people see the suffering love of Jesus. They say, what's wrong with those people that they're willing to suffer so much to bring us this message? There's something different. Something crazy about them. They see the suffering love of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing. I want to give you a few stories of how we fill up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. First story is told by Oswald Sanders in his book about an indigenous missionary to India who walked barefoot from village to village preaching the gospel in India. His hardships were many. After a long day and many miles of much discouragement, he came to a certain village and tried to speak the gospel, was driven out of town and rejected. So he went to the edge of the village, dejected, and lay down under a tree and slept from exhaustion. When he awoke, people were hovering over him, and the whole town was gathered around to hear him speak. The headman of the village explained that they came to look him over while he was sleeping. When they saw his blistered feet, they concluded that he must be a holy man, and that they had been evil to reject him. They were sorry and wanted to hear the message he was willing to offer, that he was willing to suffer so much to bring them. So this man in India filled up the afflictions of Christ. He filled up what was lacking in the afflictions of Christ by extending them to the people they were meant to save. They got a real in-person, in-flesh, in-body picture of the sufferings of Christ, what he was willing to go through so that we could be saved. The next story is a story of a Maasai warrior named Joseph in Africa. Stories told by Mark, Michael Card. One day, Joseph was walking along one of these hot, dirty African roads and he met someone who shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. Then and there, he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. The power of the Spirit began transforming his life. He was filled with such excitement and joy that the first thing he wanted to do was return to his own village and share that same good news with the members of his local tribe. Many of us have experienced that. The first thing we want to do is, is go back to the people that we know the closest and share the gospel with them. Joseph began going from door to door, telling everyone he met about the cross and the suffering of Jesus Christ the salvation it offered, and of course about his resurrection, expecting to see their faces light up the way he had. To his amazement, the villagers not only didn't care, but they became violent. The men of the village seized him and held him to the ground while the women beat him with strands of barbed wire. He was dragged from the village and left to die alone in the bush. Joseph somehow managed to crawl to a water hole, and there, after days of passing in and out of consciousness, found the strength to get up. He wondered about the hostile reception he received from the people he had known all his life. He decided he must have left something out or told the story of Jesus incorrectly. After rehearsing the message he had first heard, he decided to go back and share his faith once more. Joseph limped into the circle of huts and began to proclaim, Jesus, he died for you so that you might find forgiveness and come to know the living God. Again, he was grabbed by the men of the village and held while the women beat him, reopening wounds that had just begun to heal. Once more, they dragged him unconscious from the village and left him to die. 
To have survived the first beating was truly remarkable. To live through the second was a miracle. Again, days later, Joseph awoke in the wilderness, bruised, scarred, and determined to go back. Only the Holy Spirit can do that, friends. He returned to the small village, and this time they attacked him before he had a chance to open his mouth. As they fogged him for the third and probably the last time, he again spoke to them of Jesus Christ the Lord. Before he passed out, the last thing he saw was that the women who were beating him began to weep. This time he awoke in his own bed. The ones who had so severely beat him were now trying to save his life and nurse him back to health. The entire village had come to Christ. It's a very vivid example of what it means to fill up what was lacking in the sufferings of Christ by extending them to those who they were meant to save. This man showed the sufferings of Christ so evidently because he never was filled with hatred. He never tried to get back at them. But in his suffering and in his love for them while he was suffering, they saw the love of Christ. I'm convinced they saw Christ on the cross. The last story that I want to tell you is one of my personal favorite stories. We're going to watch a couple of video clips. I would warn you that this is going to be graphic. So if you have kids in here that you um, don't want to watch this, um, I think it's rated PG-13, but it is very graphic, and people will die. Um, this is the story of the end of the spear. Some of you have seen this movie. It's a fabulous movie about uh, Nate St. Jim Elliott, their friends Roger, Ed, and Pete, and they were missionaries to the Aka Indians of Ecuador. Aka means literally naked savage, and these people were just that. They um, lived in hatred, and they lived in murder all the time. Murder was a daily occurrence practically. And they were literally spearing each other to death. They would spear for frivolous reasons. And uh, if, you, if someone speared someone in your family, it was your uh, family duty to spear back. And so they were li- literally killing each other off. And these five men said, we need to take the gospel to the most violent tribe known in the world. And so uh, they came in and uh, they flew their plane in. Nate Saint was a pilot. And you're going to see a clip of uh, their suffering and their missional suffering and how they filled up the lack in Christ's afflictions um, here in this video clip. And then we're going to show you another one. So if we can roll that video clip here.
The little boy in the plane was Steve Saint, Nate Saint's boy, the one who was speared first. And he was anxiously awaiting his father's return in his little yellow plane. And later, um, after the five men were killed, uh, several of them went back into the village. Uh, a young woman escaped the Aka tribes. Her name is Dayume, and they adopted her into their family. And Rachel Saint, Elizabeth Elliot, some of those people you've heard of, and Steve Saint eventually went back to live with the Aka people and to take the gospel to these people that had so brutally murdered their uh, husbands and dads. And uh, it's actually just an incredible true story. And so I want you to see the story come full circle, what the purpose was of this event and uh, how they filled up the sufferings of Christ for these people. As you'll see, the one that speared first, who, who was standing there looking over Nate Saint as, as he is dying, um, was deeply impacted. And you can just feel that he was seeing the suffering love of Jesus and the suffering love of Nate Saint as he is dying. And I want you to see Minkaye today. Um, that was Minkaye back then when he speared Nate Saint. And now he appears um, at a Stephen Curtis Chapman concert in 2002 with Steve Saint, uh, Nate Saint's son. And uh, I want you to see the story come full circle. So let's watch this next clip. Yeah. 
Incredible story. The Wadani tribe is now one of the most reached tribes um, in Ecuador. It's incredible. Uh, I want to read a quote, um, actually a little part of the story that Steve Saint told in his book, The End of the Spirit. It's a great book if you ever get a chance to read it. Um, but he talks about how God was in the midst of this suffering that he experienced as a five-year-old boy losing his dad um, and how uh, God used this missional suffering for great purpose, and we could see that come full circle. He's talking, this, I'm going to pick up where he's talking about uh, his conversation with some of the Wild Downey men, and he actually uh, talked with them and said, I'd like to know the story of how my father died and uh, how the five men were killed, and, and he gets it right from their mouth, and, and it's pretty uh, impacting. But then he says, I could see the pain on their faces. They were all wishing that at least one of the five had survived their hatred. 
I think they would have liked to have been able to explain at least to one of them that they had gone to Spear because hatred was the only way they knew to live then. As Minkai said, we acted badly, badly until they brought us God's carvings. Now, seeing his markings and following his trail, we live happily and in peace. It's only my conjecture, because none of us can know the will of God, but I think it fit God's plan for all five men to die. I know that might offend some who have a narrow opinion of the parameters within which God must operate, but I don't think what happened to my dad and his four friends caught God by surprise. Nor do I think God simply allowed it. No, after learning in detail what happened on January 8, 1956, while I was so anxiously waiting to see the speck of my dad's little 56 Henry airplane appear over Penny Ridge, I believe God was much more involved in what happened than merely failing to intervene. There are too many factors that all had to work together to have allowed the events to happen as they did. Too many for me to believe it was just chance. I have come to the conclusion that God did not look away. He did not simply allow this to happen. I think he planned it. Though this has not been an easy conclusion to come to, I believe it is the right one. I have personally paid a high price for what happened on Palm Beach, but I've also had a front row seat as the rest of the story has been unfolding for half a century. I have seen firsthand that much good has come from it. I believe only God could have fashioned such an incredible story from such a tragic event. I could not begin to record the thousands of people who have told me that God used what happened on Palm Beach to change the course of their lives for good. Besides, it is enough for me that because Minkai killed my father and my family now has the privilege of loving him and being loved by him. And because my dad and Jim and Ed and Pete and Roger were willing to die, Kimo and Diwu and Gitkika and Ompode and Tementa and Gaba and Ode and Tidi and Dawa and Kawina and Koba and Gakumo and their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren and many others will have the chance to live. If I could go back now and rewrite the script, I would not change a single scene. I've come, to the un- I've come to understand that life is too complex and much too short to let amateurs direct the story. I would rather let the master storyteller do the writing. Friends, what I want to say to you today is that if the master storyteller allows some suffering in your life as you go to bring up the gospel to every corner of the earth, Um, I want you to be ready for that, first and foremost. As you go into your workplaces, as you go into your circle of friends, as you go into this neighborhood, as you go on short-term missions trips to Rosebud, as you go across the big pond to Africa and wherever God will take us here at Life Church, I want you to be ready to suffer. Because in the suffering of God's people, they see the suffering love of the Savior. It has incredible, incredible purpose. And that is what we here at Life Church are all about. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for your incredible love for us. That you and your love would do something that is hard to imagine a father doing in in sending your own son to die and take our punishment, take our place, take the punishment that was meant for us for our sin. We're so grateful for what you've done, Lord Jesus. We praise you, we give you honor, and we consider it an honor to suffer for your name. That if you would call some of us to suffer, to be tortured, to experience ridicule, and even to die for your name, Lord, I pray that you would give us strength. Father, I pray that we would not run from the difficult call of the gospel and the call of the Great Commission to take that gospel 
to every corner, to every tribe, to every nation, regardless of the dangers. And I pray that we would embrace it with our whole heart and spend this short breath of a life telling everyone that we can about the good news that you came to die for us. We love you, Jesus, and we trust you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.